be seated, church. Good morning. It's good to be together and worship our good God. There is no one higher, no one greater than him. And what a privilege to come together every week and to be um, together with a family. We're, we're made to be in a spiritual family. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Uh, let me just first welcome you to next, especially if you're a guest or your visitor. We're so glad that you're here. Those of you joining us online, good morning. Welcome as well. My name's Joe, one of the pastors here. And I um, want to say we're, we're so honored you're here. We're glad you're here, wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Um, you're welcome here. And if there's anything that we can do to help you, we'd love to do that. Let us know, please. Um, God, God did make us relational beings. You know, whether you're a people person or not, the reality is born into our DNA is the need for relationships because we're made in the image of God. God is a relational God. Even in the very beginning, he existed in relationship before he made people in the Trinity, in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which has existed eternally. He's made, he's a relational being, and so we're made to be in relationships, and we need relationships. We're made for relationships. We're made for relationships with one another, and with God. We're made for horizontal and vertical. Last week, we talked about the horizontal. Last week, um, we're wrapping up our, our Thessalonian study. We've been in here the last four and a half uh, months. We are one week away from, from finishing. And the Apostle Paul, at the end of the letter here of Thessalonians, began to give them some instructions, just real quick, uh, quick commands about how to treat one another. We went over six of them last week. And, and, and he continues on as he's wrapping up his, his letter that he's writing to them. Now he gives eight more commands. And, and these aren't horizontal commands about the relationships with each other. These are vertical commands about our relationship with God. And so he wraps up all of them, the whole letter, with all these little instructions and all these little imperatives. And it's interesting, the ones today, they are all in the imperative form in the original language. And they're also all in the present tense. Which, in, in Greek, when something's in the present tense, it means it is and it should continue on. It's ongoing. And, and so these commands are, are, are things that you and I should stop and really take inventory of. As a matter of fact, I, wa- I wanted to help you with that. I've given you an inventory. And I'll explain to you at the end what I really want us to do with this. And here's going to be the tendency this morning. Is that these eight commands that we're going to go through, there isn't going to be a one where it's going to be shocking to you or it's going to be um, something that you've never heard before or even considered before. But here's what they all are, I believe. Almost every single one is counterintuitive. A little bit like we talked about this past week, they're not going to come natural to us. They're, They're going to kind of grate against our natural instinct. And so... The only way, as, as I was wrestling through this passage this week, the only way to really do these things is to, to almost call time out in, in life and huddle up with you and coach God and be like, all right, I got all this coming against me, all of the circumstances of our life, and, and really just to push pause and to let God help you realize what ultimately is true. To really, um, I guess what I'm asking you to do is to have a biblical mindset or a biblical framework on how you're going to live through life. 
that you don't let the circumstances of life or the emotions of your life be the thing that guides you and rules you through life. But instead, that often you call time out. And if you're going to do these commands, because the instinct is to not do these commands. The instinct is to live in the natural. To just do what comes natural to you, what your flesh has done, what you've done for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. And, and so the challenge is going to be to not be ruled by your instinct or your emotions, or your circumstances, but to be ruled by the word of God. And the only way to do that is to call time out and to sit with the coach every once in a while and be like, all right, how are we going to do these eight things? Because I don't feel like doing these eight things, and it doesn't come natural for me to do these eight things. Like, like the first one, I, don't put it up yet, I just want to talk about it, and, and we'll read the whole passage. The first one is rejoice always. That's the first command, rejoice always. Now, some uh, things are good, you know, like, that's, that's okay. But if things aren't good, how many of you feel like rejoicing when things aren't good, right? When you, 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 kids, you got to go back to school in three weeks, right? And I'm like, I don't want to rejoice about that, right? Or, or the, the health uh, phone call comes, or you're looking at your bank account, or relationship, there's these tensions in the family, and like, all these things. It's like, now, the command is rejoice always, how are you going to do that when you don't feel like it or when your circumstances are telling you there's nothing to rejoice over? But yet here's this little biblical command, two words, rejoice always. And it's not there by mistake. And God put always there for a reason. And so how are, we going, to, how are you going to do it? So you see what I'm saying? As we go through these, they're, they're not going to be deep theological things that are like, wow, I never knew that before. It's going, the, the deep theological thing is how are you going to live these out because they're against the instinct that we have. So having said that, let's go. We're going to read them, six verses, eight little commands, and then we'll go back and we'll unpack these six verses and we'll talk about each one individually, all right? Uh, verse 16 is where we left off last week. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. That's it. That's Paul just giving a command. Rejoice always. Next one, pray constantly, all right? Verse 16, excuse me, verse 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Right? No, no explanations, no expansions, no kind of giving examples or context. Just eight short imperatives on how we should live our vertical lives. The first six last week about each other, this is all about now our relationship with God. And so let's do this. Let's go through each one at a time. I'll talk, I'll talk about some a little bit more than others. And, and let's seek, I want you to come at this with not, uh, I, I'm going to learn something new today, but it's going to hopefully be a challenge for you to say, how am I going to live out these things? First one, let's look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Joy in the middle of rejoice. There's the word joy in there. And, and, and so, um, Christians, can, let's, let's just talk here, Christian. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have Jesus Christ in your life. You've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Christians should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. We should be. And, 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 and I, I was going to let you in on a little secret. Some Christians are just miserable. Just 
Mis- like just grumpy, cranky, negative, miserable people going through life when we should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. We know the truth. We have a Savior. Jesus Christ does not count your sins against you. You are forgiven, cleansed. God takes your sins, separates you as far as the east from the west. Put your sins on Jesus. He promised you heaven. He promised you he would save you from his wrath and save you from hell. Now he's given you the Holy Spirit to live in you, to help you live this life because he knew you couldn't do it on your own. He gave you a full-time helper, a full-time counselor available at your disposal whenever you want. He gave you a full-time strength coach to help you to get in the spiritual gym to know how to live life, right? It says in the scriptures, every spiritual blessing that is in Jesus, the Father's given to you too. We are his adopted children, sons and daughters. So every spiritual blessing that's been given to our elder brother Jesus, he, Father also has given to us. I mean, there is so much when you did, this is why I said, you've got to stop, you've got to have a biblical mindset. You've got to remember how blessed we are because of Jesus. And when you stop and when you think about everything that's true, you just look at, if you take your eyes off the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our own lives and our own situations and our own circumstances, and you put your eyes on Jesus for a minute, you can rejoice and you can do that always. And so this is, this is going to be the challenge that we go through because our natural instinct is to just focus on ourselves and focus on the situation and focus on what's not right. And there's no joy that comes from that. And this is why you've got to understand that joy is an inside job. Joy is not an outside circumstantial situation. Joy is an inside job where you understand that your joy comes not from your situation, but from who you know. And so Christians should be the most joyful people in the face of the planet. And so what I want you to do is, some of you, I want you to go look in the mirror and say, Jesus is the reason for my joy. And say it with a smile. Because some of y'all like Eeyore. You know Eeyore? You know who Eeyore is, right? Eeyore the donkey, right? Oh, man, I don't know. He, this is not going to be good. It's not, oh, it's too hard. I'm like, like, and, 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 and so Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. We know the truth. We have a Savior that loves us. We're loved by God. We can walk in truth. We have a helper that he's given. He's given us his word. You don't have to wander around and be like, what's true? I don't know. How's it going? He's given us his truth. I mean, there is every reason in the world God's given us to rejoice always. And so, um, please, we'll be contagious because of our joy. People should be able to look at you and say, what is the reason for the joy? And you say, it is not a what. It is a who. It's because of Jesus that is inside of me is the source and the, the reason for my joy. He goes on, he says, verse 17, pray constantly. Pray constantly. Now, let, let's, like some of us grew up with the verse that says, pray without ceasing. Like, never stop praying. And it's like, well, how do you do that, right? Let's make, sure, let's make sure we're on the same page. What Paul is not saying here is uh, 24 7, 365, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. You've got to pray, 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 pray at night, pray in the morning, pray. It'd be, it'd be impossible, right? It'd be impossible. So what Paul is not saying is that every second of every minute of every day of every week of every 
year, every hour, you got to be, no, it's not, not, that's not what he's saying. Okay, what he is saying is this. It is the idea of you and I living in constant communion with God. That we have a God that is always with. God does not dwell in this building. You don't have to go through a man to connect to God. You don't have to go to a place to connect with God. That God is always with you. And so you live in constant relationship, in constant fellowship, in constant communion with God. And so what you've got to learn to do is never hang up. Is that you're always on the line with God. And you're never saying goodbye. You're, I'm done talking because he's with you no matter what circumstance, no matter what place you're in, no matter what day of the week it is, he's always with you. Kids, he's going to go with you back to school. And you're in the middle of the lunchroom and it's the first day of school and you don't know where your friends are and who you're going to sit and you're going to, if you feel all alone, you've got to remember you're not alone. That There's God who's actually there with you. And, 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 and I'm not saying talk out loud to him because that might, keep you alone at the lunch table. But what I'm saying is, is that you realize that God is there with you. And so learn to be in communication with God all throughout the day. I try to talk to God all throughout the day, all the time throughout the day. And I'm getting in the car when I'm driving, when I'm, before I'm about to step into a meeting, when I'm driving back home, before I get back into the house, just little prayers. All right, Lord, fill me up. I'm going back in. Let me not give my family my leftovers. Let me give them my best. And I, just little bit all throughout the day. And what we've got to do is we've got to get away from the mentality that some of us grew up with is that you say your morning prayers and you say your bedtime prayers and then this whole 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day in between, you're not talking with God, right? It's that you give him two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night. If you make it two minutes before you're falling asleep, that, that mindset is, is not, this verse, that's not the right mindset to have. I mean, just even think about those of you that are married, how would that work out if that's the way that you dealt with your spouse, Right, so I come home after church today and sit down, talk with Dana, and she wants to say something to me. I'm like, oh, honey, we can't talk right now. We've already spent two minutes talking in the morning. I'll catch you at night. I'll see you at night. I'll catch you at nighttime. And, and that's if I, if I make it at, at nighttime. I, 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 I. Right? How many times have we fallen asleep in the middle of talking to God? Right? And that mindset, that just wouldn't work. That's not going to fly if you're married. You go ahead and try it. It's not going to work, right? Sorry, you already used two minutes today. I'll see you tomorrow morning. It's, it's, it's an ongoing. Some of you are like, hmm, maybe it's just, you're onto something here, Pastor. Let me try something. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not a good idea. Don't try it. It doesn't work with your spouse. It's not going to work with God. Because the idea is that you're continually coming to him, continually relying on him, depending. Part of the challenge for us as American Christians is we're so independent, is that we've learned to live life apart from God. And we pride ourselves on our independence, and we want to raise our kids to be independent kids and strong-willed kids, and they can do it. Except, except Jesus said, unless you become like one of these little ones, you can't inherit my kingdom. What's he talking about? He's saying when it comes to God, you got to have this childlike dependence upon God. This where he's your father and it's like, I need you. I need you to help me. And part of the problem is we've become so good at living life that we don't need God. At least we think we don't need God. And that's, that's a lie that the enemy has gotten us to buy. You do. And we do. And so we've got to continue to pray constantly. Um, pray without ceasing means you don't give up. 
You never, ever, 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 ever give up. Why? Because he can. He can. He can. He is able. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. The scriptures say that he can do more than you can immeasurably ask or dream or imagine. Like, he can do more. So we don't give up. Some of us are prayer quitters. We pray for something, a couple times, doesn't happen, we quit. And, and Jesus said, don't be, a, don't be a quitter when it comes to prayer. Do you know he said that? Let me read it to you in Luke chapter 18. It says this, now he, being Jesus, told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and to what? Not give up. Don't be a prayer quitter. Here's what Jesus said. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God. He didn't respect people. And there was a widow in that town, and he kept coming to this judge saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Help me, judge. Do your job. Help me. And for a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Listen to what he said. I'm going to say yes, so she doesn't wear me out. Now listen, now Jesus is going to make a comparison between an unjust judge who doesn't care about God or respect people, and now Jesus says this in verse 7, will not God grant justice to his elect, his children, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. And then Jesus ends with this little statement, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Son of Man was Jesus' favorite nickname for himself. He's talking about, we just got done all this end time stuff. He's talking about when he returns, his second coming. He's here, he's, he's on the earth, and he's talking about his second coming. So he says, basically, when I come back, here's what he says, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Because it takes faith to pray. It takes faith to talk to a God that in a sense, you've never seen, in a sense, you've never met, in a sense, it's this whole thing is by faith. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have faith. Much of the world thinks we're crazy, right? We're spiritually weak. We need Christianity as a crutch, and we believe in some kind of fairy Santa Claus. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 all of this takes faith. Prayer takes faith. If you don't really believe it, but you're just going through the motions, well, those are no prayers. God's like, you don't even really believe what you're saying. You don't even really believe that I can do that. So what Jesus is looking for, he said, don't give up. Don't be a prayer quitter. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And you got to, Jesus, I'm looking for faith. I'm looking for you to pray in faith. And then Paul says in, in verse 18, he says, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, this one, at first glance, seems to be a kind of unusual command, right? Given how difficult life is and how 
um, all that's broken in our world. How can a person give thanks for everything with all of the painful things that are going on that have happened to us, right? Oh, like I'm really going gonna, gonna to give thanks that I just lost my job. I'm going to give thanks that I was just diagnosed with this thing. Like how do I, and you've got to be careful. You've got to make sure you read the scripture. It doesn't say give thanks for everything. It says give thanks, what? In everything. In other words, so you, you don't give thanks for the cancer. You don't give thanks for losing your job. You don't give thanks that your, your kid has ran away from home or has left the family. You don't give thanks for that. But in the middle of that, listen, in the middle of that situation, in the middle of that storm, you give thanks that you're not there in that storm alone, that there is one who is there with you and wants to go through it with you. And you give thanks that you have a God who sees, who knows, who cares, and intervenes and inter acts with his people and in the middle of the storms you don't give thanks for the storm but in the middle of the storm when you know what's true when you know who God is and all that he's done and you have faith and you're praying it enables you to give thanks and again I think Christians we have so much to give thanks for when you know what is really true I mean you can even just give thanks just for the simple things sometimes we just forget that we should be giving thanks for simple things like simple things, like right now, like you're hearing me, right? You're hearing me, right? You can hear me? Give thanks that your ears are working right now. Are you seeing me? And give thanks that, that you, can, you can see. Like just simple things. That you give thanks that you got up, you woke up this morning, God filled your lungs with air, you had breath in your lungs, you just give, give thanks. Sometimes, sometimes it takes us losing the simple things to be thankful for the simple things. Y'all experienced that with different illnesses or different things that happened? I, I, I remember last year when I had this post-COVID kind of like severe outbreak in my mouth of all these uh, ulcers that came out of my mouth and my throat. I mean, it was horrible. Worst pain. I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't chew. I couldn't drink. I couldn't swallow. Honestly, I couldn't sleep. When I laid horizontal on my bed, the air breathing, moving back and forth, was so painful. I had to sit upright all the time. It was the worst two weeks of my life. Right? I lost 17 pounds in 14 days. That was a nice side effect because I couldn't lose 17 pounds. Right? But I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I, I got dehydrated. I had to go to the ER. They had dripping multiple bags of IV fluids in me. Like all this, it was, it was just horrible. And I remember coming towards the end of it, and I remember saying to Dana, I'm just going to be so thankful when I can just take a drink of water again. I couldn't, I couldn't even drink. It was so painful to drink. When I could just drink from a cup. When I could just chew some basic food. Right? And I remember the first time I ate after that. I was like, oh, I'm so thankful that I can eat this food. Like, you don't often, though, know to be thankful until you have something that is really hard. And then you're reminded when a thing has passed to be thankful. So be thankful now. Christians should not only be the most joy-filled people, but we should be the most thankful people as we go through life. Why? He says this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is? For his kids to be thankful. Nobody, no parent likes spoiled bratty kids, right? And so God says, be thankful, kids. Be thankful. This is God's will. The idea, I mean, we could, this would be a whole long rabbit trail. I'm not going to go there because I think I got another rabbit trail coming up in a little bit. But I, I, I got of God's will. And here's, all I, here's, all, here's the, the short little rabbit trail we'll do. God has a will for your life. 
And I pray that you would think every day about God's will. That you would think, listen, the sweet spot of you living life is living life in the center of God's will. That you get up and you go, I know I am where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God has called me to do, what he has made me to do. I'm going to live in God's will. And you should seek to do that. You should seek to be a person of the word and to live your life according to God's will. Christians should be making direct. So many of us times it's so easy to make decisions and make directions and not even consider God and say, God, is this part of your will for my life? Kids, you're growing up and trying to figure out what you want to do when you grow up and what school you want to go to and what all that. The number one question you should be asking is talking to God, praying constantly and saying, God, what's your will? What is your plan for my life? God's will for your life. So, the first three commands. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. How different would our lives be if we just did those three? If we stopped, think about the opposite of those three. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. If we stopped just being so negative and complaining and sarcastic and self-reliant and independent and ungrateful in all of those ways that we live if we just did the opposite of these three things, I mean, I, we could stop today. We could stop the sermon right now and say, this is do that. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. I'm not going to because there's more. We're going to keep going. But we could stop if we wanted to right here, and that would be enough to work on. But now, now the Apostle Paul is going to move on. And he, those were three things he was telling us to do. Rejoice always, pray continuously and give thanks. Now he's going to tell you two things not to do. You see how those first three all relate to God, right? Rejoice always. They're like, how's that relate to God? I told you the only way you're going to be able to do that if you understand joy is an inside job. Pray continuously, give thanks. All of those are attitudes of the heart that are related to the vertical. Now he's going to give us two things not to do in relation to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. He's going to say two things for us not to do. Verse 19, he says, don't stifle the spirit. In verse 20, he says, don't despise prophecies. Two things not to do. The idea of don't stifle the spirit, that word for stifle, it, it means to quench or to put out a fire. And so the idea that the Holy Spirit lives within you and that the Holy Spirit is, it's, it's, it's fire is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in, in scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples, it looked like tongues of fire, right? So this, this idea of that the Holy Spirit wants to ignite a fire in your gut to follow after Jesus, that's what the Holy, the Holy Spirit's whole job is to help you be holy, like our big brother Jesus, and so he's going to do everything he can to prompt you, nudge you, lead you, speak through your conscience to help you say, no, let's be like big brother. Let's be like Jesus. Like, to give you this fire. Like we all have fires in our gut, right? You got passions for something. You get something that you're excited about, that you're fired up. The Holy Spirit wants to bring fire for Jesus. In your, and, and, and there are things you and I can do to quench that fire, to put out that fire. It's like a wet blanket on top of a fire it just smothers it 
And this is, this is what, the Holy, what Paul is saying. Don't do that to the Holy Spirit. Don't tune him out. Don't stop. He's going to nudge. Here's, here's the tricky thing about the Holy Spirit. He's going to nudge you to do things that aren't going to be natural to you. He's going to have you look more like Jesus. And so here's what I found about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't really interested in keeping you and me in the comfort zone of life. He's like, I want to stretch you, and I want to push you to be more like Jesus, and that's going to make you uncomfortable. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to that. See that person sitting over there all by themselves, no one's talking to them? Yeah, I want you to go talk to them. Why, why, why me? And when you don't do that, that prompting, that little thing in your gut that's not a thing in your gut, that's the Holy Spirit in you prompting you, when you ignore him, you quench him. You say, no, no. And here's what I found. The more you learn to tune out the voice, wives, see if you relate to this, the more that you are tuned out, the easier it is to future tuned out. Preseason football's around, right? In the next four months, Sunday afternoon, many are going to be glued to the TV sets, right? Standing there watching eight hours of football on Sundays. And there could be wives, kids, a, a, a robber, a thief, like doesn't matter, in your house talking. And it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, because you're just, right? You're tuning out, right? Because why? You're missing what the person's saying. We do that to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in here trying to say things to us, and we don't listen. We quench or stifle the Holy Spirit. And then it says, don't despise prophecies. So what's that all about? What are, what are, what are prophecies? See, what Paul is not talking about here is the role of the Old Testament prophet that would foretell, here's what's going to happen. He would say, listen, Israel, you better stop. Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah said, you better stop or God's going to deal with you. And they didn't listen. That's, it's not future telling. Prophecies in the New Testament, see, this is part of what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to be talking about this more and more in the weeks and the months to come here at Next because we believe that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is good and the Holy Spirit wants to bless the family of God. This is what he does so that we can be a blessing to each other and to the world. And so he's, he, when, you, when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, he brings gifts. He has gifts. Of the, he produces fruit and he brings gifts. And, and the, one of the gifts of the Spirit is prophecy. Prophecy is not so much predicting the future. It's more about God giving a word to somebody of encouragement for somebody. And it's God speaking to people for the benefit of other people. And it's a prophetic word. Hey, I feel like God's given me a word for you. And this is what the Bible... In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says this. Pursue love... And desire spiritual gifts. So we should desire spiritual gifts. And especially that you may prophesy. Again, you got to not think prophesy, future telling. Prophesy is a gift God gives to the body for one another. Watch this. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. 
On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Prophecy. Gifts of the Spirit. Now listen. We're, I have been for the last 15 years on this Holy Spirit journey. And this is where I'm going to rabbit trail just a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to tell the story quick. But I think, I think it's worth telling because I think... I think some of you are on the same journey, where you didn't grow up in a Holy Spirit-type church, and you kind of didn't really understand the person, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and you know God the Father, you know Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit, like, what, what is this Spirit, and who is this? Is it an it? Is it a force? Is that right? And, and I don't know, there's all these kooky, crazy Holy Spirit-type people out there that are doing things and falling and shaking, and, like, and so it's like, and we just, we just, we just kind of stay away from the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think that's the tool of the devil to make the Holy Spirit seem weird. And God, the, the devil has used the work of the Holy Spirit to divide churches and to split Christians. And, and I was raised in, uh, and taught um, that stuff was, is not for today. That was maybe for the back then in like the Bible times, but it's not for today. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do that stuff anymore. And people that are doing that stuff, they're, they're faking, they're fooled, they're deceived, or it's the devil that's just tricking them. And that's what I was taught. I was taught that even in, in college, Bible college. And so I had a lot of Holy Spirit baggage. And then God began to blow apart my Holy Spirit box that I put God in. How arrogant is that? God, here's what the Holy Spirit can do. He does this and this and he can do. And, and, and over years, he just began to blow apart my box. I think there's more. I don't think that that stuff is just for back then. And, and so um, um, I'm on this Holy Spirit journey trying to understand, trying to shed my baggage of what he can and can't do and all this stuff that I've kind of ingrained deep in me. And, um, and this, is, this is about 10 years ago. The, there was a couple of the leaders here at, at Keystone, the broader network, that um, had a friend of a friend who was a, an Egyptian guy who, who had the spiritual gift of prophecy. And he was going to be in this area. And they invited a small handful of people to come to have this guy prophesy over them. And so I'm like... All right, what is, what is this about? Like, it was way outside my comfort zone to go to some meeting with some Egyptian guy who's going to prophesy. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know if this is legit still, but I'm very much kind of, God's blowing up my box. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go. So there were nine of us in this, in this guy's house, and the, the guy was a leader at the Montgomeryville campus. I'd never been to his house before. So before I left, I put in, this is, this is back even before, the, you know, the phones and the Google Maps. I put in to get the MapQuest, and I put in his address, and up came Zillow. And I'm like, so I clicked on, I was like, oh, let me see this guy's house. And his house was like $799,000. I'm like, oh, we're going to a nice house tonight. This is going to be really, really nice, right? And I'm like, and then I said, I wonder, I wonder what, I had just moved here a year before from Michigan. I was in Michigan 15 years, just moved here. I wonder what our house, how our house is doing. So I put, this is when Zillow kind of was just coming out. I put our address in Zillow, and our house had dropped $40,000 from a year ago when we moved here. And... I was instantly enraged. And here's why. A little bit more of the backstory. 2008, the economic collapse happened. And, um, and, and I was in Michigan at the time, youth pastoring. And Michigan, I believe, was the third hardest hit state in our nation of, of all that. I mean, it was, just, it was brutal. There, at one point, it was like 30% of our church was unemployed. It was, it was bad there. 
And, um, and at this time is when I sensed God was leading us back here to Pennsylvania. I'm like, how, how am I going to do that? And we had been in Michigan 15 years, and we had kind of started off like all this apartment, and we saved, and we got our first house, and then we fixed it up a little bit. We made some money, and we put it to another. We were in our third house, and we had built up this little nest egg in our house. We had bought our third house for $260,000. And so we were sensing it was time to go, but the economy was collapsing, and we brought an agent from our church to our house, and he said, I think you're going to be able to sell this for $175,000. And that was exactly what we owed on the property after living there nine years. And so we listed it, and we got an offer for $175,000. That was everything that we had. To, to, so I, that's... $85,000, which I, I, to, to, I don't know about y'all, but to, to, to me, that was, a, that was a chunk of money. That was all that we had. And then I'm like hemming and hauling. I'm like, Dane, I don't know. We should do this. Like, we're going to start. We're going to be moving here with our kids. And we got nothing. We're, that was all of our nest egg. And then, and then I, through a time of prayer and fasting, I felt like the Lord just so clearly said to me, there was a period where I was like, I ain't coming. There's no way we can do this. It's foolishness. It's bad stewardship. And then I felt like God said to me, are you going to trust in your nest egg? Or are you going to trust in my leading? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. We'll go. And so we go, and we look in here, and we started looking for apartments. Like, we're just going to start over again, and we'll be 40-something-year-olds living in apartments, and that's okay. And then so we'll start over again. And, and, um, and then my dad was like, no, no, no. And he helped us get into the house that we're in. And, um, and, and so a year later is when this thing happened. And I had just went through losing everything in that house and now I'm in this new house that I couldn't even afford that my dad had to pay our down payment for and I'm looking it up and we already lost $40,000 and I was so angry and I'm just like this is ridiculous and now I'm going to some guy's big house to hear some Egyptian dude prophesy over me what is the so I I went in with a bad attitude so we get there and there's nine of us in this house and there's this little old frumpy Egyptian guy in there, doesn't know us from Adam, just got off the plane from Egypt, and he would speak in tongues. He would sing in tongues. And he would sing in tongues, and then he'd go, you, and he'd point to somebody. There's nine of us in the room. He didn't know us from anybody. He'd point to us, and he'd say, you. And he'd say, the Lord is saying to you, and he'd say something. And it, it seemed like it meant something. I didn't know all the leaders. I knew a couple of them were from the Skipback campus, a couple of them from, I didn't know all, all of them. And he went around to like three or four of them. And then he was, and then he, and, and then he, you, and he points to me. And he says to me, the Lord is saying to you, don't you know that I see your life, that if you follow me, your financial worries will never, ever, ever be something that you have to be concerned about. And I just start crying. Because it was not some little chubby Egyptian guy that was talking to me. It was God speaking to me through this guy that I never met, that had no idea that I was coming in with a bad attitude, that I just lost $40,000 on a house that we just got into after losing $85,000, and I didn't even know if I wanted to be there. And now you will never, ever convince me that God and his gifts of the Spirit aren't real and aren't for today. And so I know, I know, I know. Some of you are like me. You're skeptical about all this. 
You're skeptical about speaking in tongues. You're skeptical about gifts of prophecy. And there have been abuses of them. But just because there's been abuse doesn't mean that there is no use. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna step into this and we're going to do it together as a family. And we're, gonna, we're bringing people in to help us and guide us in how to do it right. And because Paul gives lots of instructions in Corinthians. And all I want to tell you today is, listen, this is what Paul says. Can you go back to the, uh, the previous slide for me? He says this. This is why I think Paul says, I'm, I'm sorry, the um, Thessalonians verse. Don't despise prophecies. You know why he says that? Because he knows in our nature, it's going to be like, I don't know, that stuff, uh, that's the Holy Spirit. That's all kooky, looky, weird stuff. Paul's saying, no, no, don't despise that. Don't despise prophecy. Don't you do that to the Holy Spirit. After, after my, I'm still on my Holy Spirit journey, but after that night, I, I had to apologize to the Holy Spirit for years of making fun of those people, of, of saying that's wicked, that's fake, that's lies, of basically attributing what God is doing and calling those people. I, had, I, I despise prophecies. I violated this verse a lot. I had to apologize. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I was ignorant. I'm sorry for putting you in a box. I know there's so much more you want to do. And so I believe good days are ahead, my friends. You don't have to despise the prophecies. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's good. He is good. And so, um, next verse, worship team, come on up. Get ready to close. He says, test all things. You, you got to test this. You got to test. You just don't willy-nilly go about someone comes up, hey, I got a word for you, brother. And he says, you know what? I think you should play the lottery today because you're going to hit big today, man. It's like, all right, well, let me, let me test this out. And here's how you test it. You've got to test against the scriptures, right? You've got to test that the, the scriptures are the filter test. You should test, and not just prophecies, because this doesn't say just test prophecies. It says, but test what? All things. So listen, right now, test your life. The decisions you're making, the way that you're living, the way that you're thinking, the way that you're handling your finances, the way that you're treating your kids, the way that you're thinking about the purpose of life, and all of it, test it. Run it through scripture. Scripture is our filter, is our test. Kids, listen to me. Social media is not the test. It's going to want to be the test in your life. You want to, you're going to want to hold your life up to your social media accounts and Instagram and Snap and all the other stuff that's out there. And, and you're always going to fall short compared to And you're going to feel like you're failing the test. And I'm telling you, you're looking at the wrong test. Social media is not the test. Your peers are not the test. Older people, your peers are not the test. The culture is not the test. There's only one test. It's the word of God that we got to filter our life through. Test all things. He goes on and says this to close. He says, hold on to what is good and stay away from all kinds of evil. So hold on to it. Hold on to it. When I was out in, in Michigan, 15 years youth pastoring, I, always, I got this question all the time from kids. And they always wanted to know, where's the line? And how far is too far? How, here's what they were asking. How close to evil can I get before I cross over the line? And it's wrong. I, so if this is the line, I can stay right here, Joe? I can stay right here? Like, no. That's, that's a stupid way to think of it. How close to... The, that's, you're asking the wrong question. Where's the line? Here's the answer. 
Stay far away from the line. Don't even get close to the line. Hold on to what's good. And don't, don't be playing games with the line of evil. Goes for us, older people. The things that you're doing in life, stay away from evil and hold on to what's good. So, 15 commands over the last week. I gave you this checklist. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to, I want you to do a self-evaluation with you and God. And I want you to sit down and I want you to just one through five. One is, one is bad. I'm not, this is not a thing in my life at all. I need work on this. Five is, God, I think I'm doing pretty good here. Don't give yourself all threes. That's cheap, right? Don't give yourself all threes. And then I want you to talk about it. I want you to talk about it with your family. Kids, I want you to do this. Talk about, moms and dads, talk about this. How are you doing? How can I help you? Oh, why, why do you think it's like that? Where, how is that hard for you? Here, here's, here's something, right? I want you to talk about these things. The six commands of the vertical, or excuse me, the horizontal, and eight of the vertical. And watch God turn our church family. This is being spiritually healthy. This is what we want. This is how Paul's wrapping up. His last words to the Thessalonians. He's like, let's be this. Let's do this, Thessalonian church. And so next church, let's be this. Let's do this. Let's stand. Let's close and worship together.